Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. For those longtime listeners, you may have noticed a little different intro music today. That's because on today's show, we're interviewing Carly Fratian. That intro music was courtesy of her band, WYD. She also just recently released music under the artist name Louie. So why is Carly on the podcast today? Pretty valid question, if you ask me. As you can imagine, the pandemic has not been kind to musicians and people who earn their living playing out in live stadiums, etc. Carly is one of those musicians who turned that kind of available time into something different. She became a gravel racer and actually completed Unbound in 2021. I thought it was an interesting conversation. As you know, I love the fact that gravel is such an inviting community. And to hear Carly's story and her journey to gravel cycling, I just think is really interesting. And I thought it was a unique opportunity at the end of the year to expose us all to a little new music. So I hope you enjoy this rather unique episode of the Gravel Ride podcast. Before we jump into this week's show, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Competitive Cyclist. Competitive Cyclist is the online specialty retailer of gravel and mountain bikes, components, apparel, and accessories. Featuring cycling standout brands like Pock, Castelli, Perlazumi, and 510, it's unrivaled in-house bike assembly operation. They bring the personalized attention of a local bike shop along with the selection and convenience only possible while shopping online. As I've mentioned before, the real difference that competitive cyclists are the gearheads. They're equal parts customer service, cycling fanatics. Gearheads are former pro athletes, Olympians, and seasoned athletes with years of experience, all available by phone, email, or chat for product recommendations and hard-won advice. I had a great experience with my personal gearhead, Maggie, but as I mentioned on the last episode, it was on the competitivecyclist.com site. And I think I spent 45 minutes just cruising around looking at all the great gravel goodies over there. I ended up way overfilling my cart and had to edit it back down for my budget, but I got a few important nice to haves and some critical maintenance items that I haven't been able to find in stock anywhere else. So I was stoked to actually have brake pads. It turns out they're a very important component of braking. Anyway, I encourage you to go check out competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride, enter promo code, the gravel ride, and you'll get 15% off your first full priced order. Plus free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Some exclusions apply. I mentioned the other day that I placed the order in the morning and saw it actually got a shipping notification that afternoon. So there's still time to get those holiday orders in. Go right now and get 15% off plus free shipping at competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride. And remember that promo code is the gravel ride. With that business out of the way, let's jump right into my interview with Carly. Carly, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation because it's going to be twofold. I get to talk to you about being an artist and a gravel cyclist, which is a unique position on the podcast. It's a pretty interesting, duplicitous world too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start by talking about just a little bit about your background, both as an athlete and a musician, and then maybe we can talk about how the pandemic kind of brought them two together. For sure. As an athlete, I'd say I was fair to middling. (laughs) 
in as a cross country runner in middle school and high school, but that was about the extent of my organized activities. There was some like childhood soccer, but nothing too clinical. And then I was always skateboarding and riding my bike around after school in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, which was where I got my first taste of of freedom. And that's definitely carried with me for the you know remaining years of trying to just pursue that musically and I guess athletically, but I, I like to think of it more as adventuring. Yeah, it's so funny um, how like that like baseline of endurance athletics, like running track or cross country in high school or swimming. So many people I talk to, they do that and then they might not do anything for many years and then they pick up the bike and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I already have this fundamental engine that makes me halfway decent as a beginner in this sport. Yeah, totally. It definitely makes it like more immediately fun, I think, too, which like you don't have to do so much the legwork to no pun intended but to get yourself to a position where you can really like go out and do some serious efforts and then once you build on that it's kind of just like how cool are your routes <laughs> you know just like how much of this can you do before you get bored <laughs> yeah exactly so it sounds like you laid the groundwork for adventure and at least an appreciation for the outdoors but presumably given your vocation now you were also pretty actively pursuing music Definitely. Yeah, that was, I think that was probably my first real love. I've been doing that since I was a kid as well. And that is what's driven me to explore in less, um, less on the bike, but just in general, I think like the pursuit of a new inspiration and new muse and just a different like geographical place has always inspired and informed the art. And I think thusly like having cycling as like a like another means of like propulsion is they're just so intrinsically woven together and the years prior to the pandemic was that when your kind of effort towards music and your kind of commitment and the number of hours was really spiking up yeah for sure I, so i was in wyd and souther were two um projects for me and then i also had i worked at a job as a screen printer and in Columbus or I was waiting tables and we were gigging out but between the two bands it was at least two or three weekends out of the month and just traveling as much as we could and recording all the time and that was a pretty serious time commitment there and when it was no longer such a heavy presence from due to the COVID lockdowns and stuff. It was, there was just like a lot of empty space there. Yeah, it must have been. It's so shocking to have all those live venues, which in addition to playing, I'm sure you were an active participant in listening and going out to live events and knowing others in the industry, including my cousin, like just that dramatic removal of that entire part of your life. I can only imagine how jarring it must have been. It was crazy. If I'm honest, I don't I don't even like really remember a lot of that time period. I was just like so just like devastated. And it's almost like I'm only now realizing like what like a serious like depressive time that was personally. Um but yeah, like the venues in Columbus, they're all owned by people that we know. Like they're like close 
friends and it's a very like tight-knit scene there being worried about you know, maybe they're not going to come back online or who's going to be able to make it through this are we ever going to be able to do this again it was a lot of big questions and really just nothing to do but wait and see how it panned out yeah and i remember certainly personally in the early days you you were thinking oh waiting's going to look like two weeks or a month yeah, I remember getting, so we had shows lined up, obviously, like before the thing. I was actually in Texas when the initial lockdown happened, and I came back up to Columbus, and we still had, like, between the two bands, at least a half a dozen shows that were, you know, scheduled to happen within, within the next, like, month or two, and a domino effect where everybody was trying to figure out if, like, what we needed to do to postpone things or like how to work with the logistics and it would get emails from promoters. Like, yeah, I think we'll, we'll schedule it again for next month or something. We're going to postpone our tour date here for a month or two and we'll see about whatever, September or whatever. I don't even remember what the actual dates were, but then it was just like everything just went to a screeching halt and it was like, okay, we're looking at 2024 and we're all just like, okay, this is happening now. <laughs> Devastating. So when you're, as you're going through that moment, obviously like, there's like this big sense of loss and transition. Was the bike something you immediately you sought out for solace or did you have to go through a process and then discover the bike again? You know what? I It's, it's actually funny. So I had just kind of started getting into doing some like more long distance stuff in the probably... The year before, like the year leading up to it, I was riding, but it was mostly road riding. I just didn't really know that gravel existed yet. I knew it existed, but I didn't know that there was like a community in Columbus or in the world um, that was accessible to me. And I met some people in Columbus, one of them. So I work at a bike shop in Columbus called VeloScience, and the owner, Jeff Clark, he was one of my first gravel buddies, and he introduced me to a bunch of people. And there's actually the Ohio Gravel Grinders is a little community that yeah, yes Ray for the frequent for frequent listeners, I've had Ray George on the podcast before, and love love all the effort that Ray and and everybody involved in that community has put into Ohio and putting just putting such great information out there for wannabe yeah gravel cyclists. It's, it's it's awesome. That was how I started getting into it. I would just go on ride with GPS and see what they had on their page. And there's always something that looked like fun. And there's like you said, they're so like, informed and like the routes themselves are all uploaded with like awesome like notes. And there's a huge dog here. <laughs> Bring a shit ton of water because there is none. Yeah. Um, what is? I feel like there's one ride that there's a signature animal, like a donkey or something that you come. Yeah, Donkey Marchetti. I, yeah, I was just seeing some friends one visited him the other day. The thing is hilarious. I, I like, I knew he existed, but I, I'd never seen him. And I was on a ride one day. I was training for Unbound with my friend Melissa, and we were riding down this road. Out, it's out, and Homer is the little town. Um, and we were just going down, and I saw just like a f we okay. To rewind for a split second, we had been chased by more dogs on this ride than, like, you would believe was humanly possible. It was, like, five or six of them, and we were just, we were, like, pissed and stressed out. It was, like, it was a traumatic in a funny way that, you know, we as cyclists understand. But 
so we're coming down the road and she's a little bit in front of me and I just see this flash of brown movement come from behind this like really thin tree line and I didn't see that there was like a wire fence or anything I was just like oh my god Mel look out like screaming at her to like move because she didn't see it (laughs) and I stopped the bike because I realized it's not a dog and I didn't even know what it was and this donkey just reached his head over the fence and uttered the loudest most hilarious two minutes of sound I have ever heard in my like I wish I had recorded it it was so funny and I just stood there and Mel just stood there and we were just like what is this creature then obviously figured out that it was the infamous donkey marchetti we felt really bad that we didn't have any extra food for him so yeah I feel like that's uh, a Ohio badge of honor to visit that donkey you gotta do it yeah you got it's really funny it's like such a thing now that when we met him the first time the owner came out with a huge carrot and was just like oh yeah i figured you guys didn't have any food for him so i gotta give him this otherwise he'll just stand there and do that all day he's just so used to the cyclists coming through she's like we don't even really feed him anymore he just gets enough food that's so funny. I'm sure Ray, who I'm sure you interact with, would love to hear that, like the work that the, he and the community have done felt inviting, felt informative. We talk about that so much on this podcast, just the idea of the importance of locals building community around gravel cycling, because it is intimidating, like even here and wherever you are, when you go out into the wilderness, like it's a little bit confusing, can be a little bit scary, can be a lot intimidating when you're first getting into it. So having someone who's out there just putting information out there and it sounds like their ride with GPS files are filled with notes of where to get water and where the donkey is and all kinds of good stuff. It's such a powerful effort that locals can do wherever they are to put good vibes out there in the gravel community. Oh my God, absolutely. And yeah, to tap on your point about it being like intimidating in the wilderness and stuff, like I'm a pretty I'm a pretty small bodied female and I don't think that I'm like I I was not brought up socialized to just go off into the wilderness like that and throw caution to the wind but and I don't think that a lot of young girls are or young people in general these days and to like have even just a little bit of guidance to just to show you what you're capable of and help you get your foot in the door has built like an immense amount of confidence for me and I'm sure for plenty of other people and just knowing that you can go out there and like most of the people you meet are actually going to be pretty nice and like you don't have to be afraid of coyotes usually and there's just like a lot of I I don't want to say irrational fear but like a lot of unchecked fear that kind of if you can just get over it a little bit, you can get over it a lot of bit. And having the guidance of a community is like pretty crucial to getting over that first step. Absolutely. Yeah. I think once you get that right bike, that right gravel bike, that's capable, even if your notion is that I'm going to start on the road, then you start seeing little dirt paths and maybe you take a quarter mile on the dirt and you start to realize, yeah, not only am I capable of doing this, not only is my bike capable of doing it, but I'd like to do it more and it's better than the time I'm spending on the road and safer, et cetera. Yeah. It's safer. And there's just more interesting stuff. I I always joke with my friends that I have to meet a new cow every day. 
And this is like a hilarious little mantra of mine just to continue to explore, even if you're landlocked in an area, just keep looking for more different stuff. Yeah. So in those early days of the pandemic, as you started to discover gravel riding a little bit more, it sounds like your available time to explore also expanded because you weren't able to gig the way you were and maybe your other employment wasn't as, as fruitful. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of long days. I did, I did my first century ride. Um, God, I don't even remember when that was. It was probably right about when I got back from Texas. I had been working at Rogue Fitness as a like assembly line worker. I was just like building squat racks for like the, the CrossFit scene. I was, that was very hard work. And I like took a day off and I rode a century ride with one of my friends, Alex, who was the bassist in Souther. And I had never done a ride that long before. And I was just like, oh my God, I can just go spend the whole friggin' day on the bike if I want to. This is amazing. And so I just started going out like long days, at least a couple times a week. And I loved it. And I just love, I, I would listen to music sometimes, but I really just like loved the solitude. And I hardly even rode with anyone like when I was first getting into it, um, into like the longer rides. And then I guess it was when I started riding with with Jeff that I got really super hooked on the gravel. And just that sort of became the, the primary focus was just like, to find new roads and just get off of the, get off of the beaten path, so to speak. Not that there were likely any events, but were you doing any events at that time or was it all solo riding or with friends? It was all solo riding and like occasionally with friends. They canceled all the races. I think I was signed up to do my first event. It, it wasn't a race. It's called the TOSERV. It just stands for uh, Tour of the Scioto River Valley. And it's, it's 200 miles, but it's like in two days. So you, it's like an out and back hundred miles. And that was canceled. I was like training for that when I was coming back from Texas. So that was going to be my first event and they canceled that. And then everything else just tumbled off. During this period of time where you're getting all those miles in, what was going on with your kind of musical career? Was it, were you working on stuff at the time? Does writing help you come up with lyrics or ideas uh, yeah yeah it's a lot of songs were written on a bike this past year it's an amazing place to process you get out there and you just have the wheels spinning and you just start thinking about stuff and i tend to think really rhythmically when i'm writing lyrics um and something about being on the bike is just like it's a really like good like rhythmic activity so it, i don't know why but it just stimulates your brain a little bit and so i was yeah i guess to to answer your question i was writing and recording like a little bit in i had a little demo studio set up in the house that i was living at the time with my partner in the band wid uh, we were trying to track stuff, but it was slow going. I wrote a lot that year, but I didn't really, it wasn't really for any specific purpose. Like I, I haven't even really recorded a lot of that music yet. It was just a really like strange black hole of time wherein it didn't really feel important to be making art that was like for 
a purpose. I guess that's just like the nature of like <laughs> human <laughs> crises. But yeah, it was mostly just for expression. And I guess that like break period was informative too, I think. I don't want to say metaphysical level, but like there was something in my like spirit that just deeply needed to just turn everything off for a while. Interesting. I want to come back to the gravel cycling side of things, but before we do, the culmination in, in this year in 2021, you've actually launched a solo project. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Big exciting there. Um, yeah. Is that we, just personal curiosity? Is Are there complexities? Obviously, you're continuing to work with WID as a band. Are there complexities in kind of managing those interpersonal relationships? Or is it pretty clear, oh, this personal thing is feels so different and it's a different expression of my art? It's, you know what? It's a little bit easier than I thought it was going to be, actually. I was worried about that, too. But um, keeping communication open is always key. But I think also, like, it, this material that I was working on for um, when I started working on the Louie project was definitely very different or at least it, it felt that way to me and I think it, it, if you asked anyone that was involved in the project they would in either project they would probably agree so I don't think there was a ton of I don't know, there just wasn't really much friction um but it is you do bring up a good point that there were some conversations that had to be had so yeah I bet for the listener you won't know this but but in the intro, I've played a little bit of the WYD track that was shared with me. And I'll just drop in right now your Need For Now track under the artist name Louie and let the listener take a look at it and a listen. Awesome. I can't, I can't stay away. I can't. my corners wide running the yellow lights living on borrowed time hiding from the strangers inside asking me what do I need for now what do I need for now
Yeah, cool. So that was great. I, it's funny, I was playing it last night for my seven-year-old son and he yelled in from the other room. He's, I really like that song. He's very, he's very musical, so it's super cute. And so he periodically yells things like that to me. So for the seven-year-old crowd, I guess you nailed it. That is awesome news. <laughs> Gotta start them young. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I'm sure it's going to be a cool journey and hopefully you'll be able to get back to both giggings as a solo artist and and back with the band because it sounds like that's where you really come alive on stage. For sure. Yeah, it's been a lot of solo small shows this year so far, which has actually been really nice. I, I do miss being up there and being loud. WYD has had the opportunity to play a handful of like bigger full capacity shows and man it's a strange drug i tell you what being up there it's it's the kind of energy that i feel really privileged to have gotten to experience even just in the years that i've been doing it but yeah there is a good intimacy with the solo thing that's been enough to hold me over yeah yeah i, I think a drug is probably an apt comparison because i imagine that it just feels electric to be on stage and in front of people and to feel the energy and the enthusiasm. Yeah, it's it's absolutely unparalleled. When you're, especially in a hometown show, when you're in a room full of people that are like really stoked on what you're doing, you can just feel the energy. It's like a force of nature and it just comes right back at you. And it's, it takes days for you to be able to shake it off even really. Yeah. Now for the most awkward segue in podcasting history, talking about community and feeling that energy, I did want to come back to, you did Unbound, which is crazy to think about. Obviously, you've been active your whole life, and it's not like you're a new athlete, but to go from, hey, I like this gravel riding thing to knocking out Unbound is quite a journey. So why don't you talk about like maybe how you got exposed to Unbound and what made you think it was a good idea to go for it? my god okay this is i truly couldn't have recreated this if i had to re-engineer my life it was just very happenstance i knew of unbound just because i had watched youtube videos because once you get into it you're like oh my god this is crazy like these people do this stuff this is just nuts so i had watched a couple of videos about it and i was just like man like that is some wild shit i don't even know how you can do that and um I was, I had just joined, there's a cycling team uh, called Lady Nar Shredders in Columbus, and obviously there were no events, so we were just organizing smaller group rides or going out in, in a couple of people at a time to just hang out and get to know each other, and I, Megan Gerke, who is, I don't know if she's still the one of the administrators, but she was, she was doing the recruiting, and she sort of took me under her wing and helped show me a bunch of stuff just about like how to do bike riding in a real like more scientific way. And then Melissa Wick, who had also just joined that year, and we were, the three of us were like the ones that were into the gravel the most. So we got together and did a gravel ride. It was cold. I, I feel like it was probably, I want to say, December, maybe November, December of that of the year before, we had just all met and we're just riding or riding along, talking about stuff. And Megan had, she was set to do it in 2021 or 2020. Oh, 
Yeah, 2020. And then when it got deferred, she was going to do it the next year because they announced that they were going to have it. And Melissa had also signed up and they were talking about it. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you guys just do that? You guys are going to do that race? Like, you got to be kidding me. And they, they were both just, you should do it, too. And I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so it was funny. The lottery opened like that it, it was like that week, I think it was like a couple days later. And I like set an alarm on my phone and everything. I like, you know, typed out my little submission and I sent in and didn't really think I was just like, all right, well, that's in there. And I'll know in like a couple of months, I'll just keep riding my bike and whatever. And then I went down to Texas in, I think February, late February, um, and was just doing a bunch of training down here because it's nice out and it's not snowing. I was able to, you know, keep getting some like longer endurance rides in without getting frostbite. And I got, I was like headed out to go camp in hill country and I got an email on my phone and it just said, you're in. And I looked at it and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> okay. All right. So immediately I call Melissa and me again. I'm just like, okay, you guys, we got to get serious. Like we got to go do this thing. And they're just like, oh, okay, whatever. So I went, I spent another maybe month in Texas. And then I went back to Columbus and the three of us just started training like crazy. And yeah, we were doing some really absurd rides, just trying to get as much gravel and as much distance as possible. And I think the training for that race was like some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Just like the amount of like insane experiences that were had on bikes between the three of us is just, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought it was possible to like have that much fun and be doing a freaking bike ride. But yeah, and then we did the race and we all finished and we were just like, okay, that was crazy. <laughs> and now what do we do? How would how did that feel lining up at the starting line with such, you know, an energy and large field at Unbound? It must have been crazy compared to what you'd been experiencing previously. Oh yeah. So my I did my first race. It was a 50-mile race in Ohio. And then I did the Gravel Locos race in Texas. So those were the only two organized events I'd ever done. And they were both like super duper small. Like the one yeah. in Ohio is, I think I was the only person in my age, like in my wave for that. And then the Heiko race was like super small. It was the first year they'd done it. Awesome event. Gravel Locos is awesome. But that too was just, I don't even, there, there were like a hundred people or something there. And this was like nuts. Like, you see like videos people post of like the start lines at these events but like when you have that when you're in the middle of it it is just unreal and to just to think if you've never done the event before you're literally just sitting there like you have no idea what to expect all the training in the world could go out of the window in a second like it's just such an intense place well the interesting thing is like you think about gravel riding and for many of us it's like a small group or solo affair and when you're riding on a 12 foot wide gravel road you've got a lot of room to pick lines right you're you can go wherever you want and then all of a sudden you join one of these events with a thousand people in it or more you don't get to pick your lines like you're 12 abreast on a 12 foot road and you'd never know what's going to come up i imagine in those first few miles at least right oh my god yeah there were 
God, there were so many sketchy areas. In the first 50 miles of that race, I saw quite a few wrecks or near wrecks. And it you're just, like, on top of each other. And nothing – Emporia is, like, just such a interesting mix of, like, perfectly graded flat – roads and then just like the gnarliest like it's just like a washed out creek bed like no sane motorist would drive a car on it but it's like the same road you're just like how can this be and when you're piled on top of each other like you said there's you can't see any lines let alone a good one so you're just like holding the bars and like praying you're just like bunny hopping from rock to rock just like hoping you don't get a flat yeah yeah you imagine the pros and fast people at the front of the race trying to get out ahead of it but when i'm doing these events and imagine like you there's no getting out ahead of anybody like there's always going to be someone ahead of you and behind you oh yeah you're definitely just in the pack until the pack explodes and (laughs) it can it can take a while to get get spaced out it's it is it's super wild too because you know you ride the first half of that race and you're just like sardines and then by mile one twenty you're like what you're like riding past people that are taking a nap it's just such a different experience in the second half. Did you spend a lot of time thinking about that second half and how to make sure you were fueled up and fit enough for it? Because I imagine the first half of the race, obviously, like many of us can get to a hundred mile fitness, but. Beyond 100 miles, it's both a different story from a fitness perspective, but also from a nutrition and hydration perspective. Any corner you've cut is going to be a problem. Oh my God, absolutely. That was that was one thing that I really actually did have to train for specifically was like being able to like take in enough nutrition on the bike because you it's true like you your body it stops being able to like process things after a while when you're working that hard. And the, the heat is a huge factor that I think doesn't always get taken into as it shifts really quickly. And once you have started to dehydrate, you can't really eat any more than what digest, which basically renders you in a state of almost bonking for like until you figure it out. And I don't even, I don't, I had a couple of like really like weird, bad nutrition choices, but I think I was able to kind of phone it in a little bit as far as like being able to keep the food down. So the, the actual training from a fitness standpoint was basically just to get as much gravel as you can. in because by the end of a hundred miles or whatever, you're, like your whole body starts to just ache it's it's like your legs are tired sure but like also like you're carrying your water on your back and you're just like riding up and down rocks and everything is just like shaking around like constantly and I had to just prepare for that by I guess just like doing rides with like fully loaded yeah even when I didn't need that water on my back I would take the camel back with me and then nutrition I (laughs) I experimented with a lot of stuff because I knew that I was going to need something that was not going to be like invasive to the gut. And what Mel and I landed on was we made some of those recipes out of that Scratch Labs, the Portables book. Yeah, it's a great book. And 
Oh my god, it, it was amazing. Yeah, we just basically made like a bunch of different kinds of rice cakes and just wrapped them in foil, which it worked really well and it was like super cheap. I will say if I had to do that again, I would have probably brought more gels actually. Um, cause I was trying to stay off of them because they typically upset my stomach as probably most people will tell you as well. But, um, I think between the dehydration, it was just like, it's got to be super hard to process solid food towards the end. Yeah. I think to your point earlier, it's, you need to have variety. Like when you're training rides, it's pretty easy to, at least for me, like I can eat the exact same nutritional product for a, a five hour ride every single week, like no issue whatsoever. But when you're talking about anything beyond six hours and 12 hours, like you're just going to want to have different things. And some of the things, and we talked about this before on the podcast, just this idea that you're going to have horrible moments in these events sometimes. And that could be a mechanical moment that could be like a gut moment or even a mental moment. And the important thing, everybody's going to go through that from the professional riders to the last place person on the event. You just have to know that, it will pass. And the only thing you need to be concerned about is continually moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And like the, the, yeah, I think the 120 mile mark is like really where it starts to like get real. That's when you just see people like coming apart on the side of the road and you're just thinking, wow, okay, what do I have to do to make sure that doesn't happen to me? And as long as you're able to like eat and drink, you'll probably be fine. But there's definitely a moment where like, you just don't want anything. Like you just can't. Like you just can't think of a single thing on earth that sounds good, and your your drink mix just makes you want to puke. Like I bought a huge bag of the strawberry lemonade scratch because it was my favorite flavor. I was like, okay, this is great. I won't have to buy a new bag of this for forever. Dude, I'm telling you, by the end of this, I was like, man, I need to just get rid of this whole bag. Like I'll never be able to drink this shit again. It is so just like sickly reminiscent of a horrible feeling in my body (laughs) ptsd by hydration (laughs) literally yeah it was it was such a even still i still have the bag every once in a while i'll throw some in my bottles and every time i'm just like oh like it still reminds me of that (laughs) so as hopefully we look forward to a future where your your musical endeavors can become a, a bigger time in your life and we can get back to going to live music venues. Are you going to continue gravel cycling? Do you have ambitions for 2022 to continue doing events? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which if I know I will probably, I will try and do unbound again. I would like to beat the sun. That's a small goal, but as far as events go, I'm less compelled to events this year, and I will probably be spending a bulk of my time doing some bike packing. Right now, I'm in Texas, which is one of my favorite places to ride. There are lots of race routes and stuff that you can find that are pretty, maybe an hour out of town, but they're pretty accessible, and it's all like ranch roads, so you can, you can go a day without seeing a car, really. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, and it's temperate, so... I'm going to spend some time down here and then I'm going to head out to Arizona in a little bit to do some bike packing on some of the other trails out there. I would I will probably make an attempt at the Monumental Loop. I don't know that I'll do it all in one go, but if the weather holds out over the next couple of weeks, I'll probably see which one looks the most enticing and go for it. 
Awesome. That sounds amazing. We're happy to have you. I'm happy to have had this discussion. I love, I, I just love, it's just a great story about the inclusiveness of gravel and how everybody's welcome and whether it's doing events or bike packing or riding with friends, like we want all comers to this sport. Yeah, it's a, it's an awesome sport. It's, it's like probably the, the most inclusive sport I can think of as far as any fitness level can find something, any person of any age can find something. You can just like kind of make it into whatever you want. And I think that's the, the beauty of it is that there, there are a few, there are a few barriers to entry. The only one really is, do you have a bike and is your spirit adventurous? Yeah. Awesome. I think that's a good place to end. Thanks Carly so much for the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Craig. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. Happy to have your feedback. Obviously, I'm not a master editor, so weaving some of that music in was a bit of a challenge for me. But it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know Carly and her journey into this gravel cycling community that we all love so much. Big thanks to Competitive Cyclists for sponsoring this week's edition of the Gravel Ride podcast. Remember, it's promo code THEGRAVELRIDE at competitivecyclist.com for 15% off. If you're looking to connect with me, I encourage you to come and join us in the Ridership Forum. It's www.theridership.com. And if you're able to support the podcast financially, simply visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Continuing with the theme of this show, I'm going to drop in one of Carly's other songs, a full track for you to listen. It's the same one that we opened up with, but I'll let it play into its conclusion as a peaceful way for you ending this podcast. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Makes no difference,